Hey, Crawl Space listeners, just wanted to give you a heads up. We are doing a live podcast in Somerville, Massachusetts on August 18th at 10 p.m. in Davis Square at the Rockwell Theater. Jordan Bonaparte of the Nighttime Podcast is going to be there with us, and we are going to be talking to at least one other very interesting person. So please check it out. There are links in the show notes if you want to buy tickets. Crawl Space. Lance, tonight we have a new kind of episode, something we always really intended on doing, something that we have affectionately called the Crawl Space Vault. It's really exciting, right? Because we did Crawl Space as a way to explore different cases, and then we realized that these cases were going to get us as involved as uh, Moore Murray with Brianna Maitland and the missing men of Boston and the Dean murder. And I think you and I both have very similar personalities where we get a little OCD about about each case. So it's not like you can just cover the Dean murder in three episodes. We have to cover it as deep and as detailed as possible. Uh, but what we really want to do and we just can't seem to do is just have a conversation. Maybe people just think that we're very morbid people. Like you and I, upon listening to these things, if I didn't know us, I'd be like, these guys are dark, but we're not. Like, yeah, we tend to use humor a lot when discussing and getting deep into the dark, uh, the dark matter. Tonight for this episode, it's a little bit different. We're not going to talk about the Brianna Maitland case. We're not going to talk about the Vanishing Men of Boston or the Dean murder or the Moramari case. What we are going to do is talk a little bit about our histories and why we got to love true crime and uh, the darkness. And we also want to read a few iTunes reviews, which I think is something we promised we would do um, and we really haven't done. So we want to read some of those as well. Yeah, you just said something that reminded me of a, a Albert Einstein quote. The most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of true art and true science. And there is something to be said about – people will say that it's dark to always want to talk about the serial killers and, and unsolved cases and true crime. Um, but when you can when you can make a difference and do it and be entertaining at the same time, I've always said that fear is one of the most powerful emotions. Fear, uh, love, one of them, two of the most powerful emotions. You really experience something. People, what's the what's the most uh, profitable movie genre? Kids movies, actually. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you if you're talking about yeah, like two to one, like ticket ratio. But when. When you look at it, like, people love being scared. People, people pay mo- big money to be scared. Right. Which is crazy when you think about it. Look at the roller coaster industry and, and the horror movie industry as well. Um, some movies really catch fire. There's just so many horror movies that are made that not all of them will ever make money because they're one of the cheapest movies to make, and a lot of indie producers make them. Actually, we know because we've made horror movies. Um, Pan Man, by the way, check that one out. Um <laughs> wait, wait, is there a demon in your kitchen? <laughs> so, yeah. 
But yeah, people pay money to be afraid. And one thing that I learned from reading uh, some articles about podcasting and true crime podcasting is that a lot of times people are learning from the true crime podcasts that they listen to, this this entertainment, this form of entertainment that they're getting. They're also learning how to be safe yes, and live their lives more safely than they would if they weren't aware of these cases. Yes, being safe and being responsible and being a little bit more aware, I guess that goes with being safe. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't realize it, right? We didn't realize it when we started it. And when the people were, started listening, they didn't realize it. So there's a whole, there's a whole onion of, <laughs> there's a whole, you know, layers of why you listen to true crime and mysteries and why it's interesting because you do learn a little bit about how you act in the world. And it's simplicity too that scares you. When you start the the things that are that are frightening about the Dean murder and the vanishing men of Boston and Brianna Maitland and Maura Murray is that everything up until the apparent crime is very simple. A simple man in a simple town, a simple young woman in a in a small simple town. Everything is is simplicity. And when you take simplicity and you and you turn it on its head and you turn it into something terrible, that that's the scariest thing. Primal fear is is the thing that uh, that makes us most scared. the The movie Forty Seven Meters Down that just came out a couple weeks ago, the shark movie. I don't know if you know the premise of this movie. Yeah. But uh, these two women on vacation, they hop into a shark cage, like one of these things where you can get close to sharks and view them, and they they're in this cage together and they're lowered down and and these sharks are around them the people throw out blood and meat and the sharks are there but the line snaps <laughs> and the cage trapped it's it's you know locked still and it falls all the way down to the bottom of the ocean floor 47 meters down and so there's so much primal fear in that one premise it, it, i've told a few people that and they said i i get it i've gotten anxiety just hearing you tell me that premise do you know what else makes you feel fear the that they that they use meters and not feet because it wouldn't sound the same right it wouldn't sound the same if they said like like 5700 feet down you know right. or what whatever whatever the the I, 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 I can hear yeah, people i can, can hear people the, emailing yeah. me right now to let me know how many <laughs> it's probably what is it it's i think like it's a, like three feet per meter it's like 3.3 so. 3. 3 feet per meter so yeah do the friggin' math and you got what i'm yeah, saying we, like, we, the, we never promised anyone math on this show we, we didn't we didn't well actually we did not we never did um <laughs> but yeah i mean you you if it was called like 242 feet down it wouldn't be as frightening meters just sounds more frightening but i just find it interesting because that movie is sort of like summer movie it's a little bit of a b movie type um the way it's made the reviews were were tepid um, but then there's a movie like It Comes at Night that is a horror movie that horror fans are going nuts for. And the reviews are incredible for it. But it didn't do nearly as well as 47 Meters Down. The primal fear of the premise of 47 Meters Down really played. And uh, something about It Comes at Night didn't get people to the theater on that primal level. It may be a scarier movie. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But... It didn't do as well at the box office. People love sharks. Yeah, people really do. And I'm probably not inaccurate when I say the leads were probably in bathing suits. Yeah, I think you'd be right. Yeah, that'd be that'd be accurate. Yep. So you got some water, sharks, yeah. you got some bikinis, you got some blood. 
I mean, that's box office right there. <laughs> so let's get into our uh, our substance here, Lance. What? Uh, let's talk about you real quick and and you growing up because I know you were affected um, in some interesting ways by a murder that took place in the town next to where you grew up. You want to tell us a little bit about that, and then I'll go into uh, sort of my early life into uh, the idea of crime. I remember growing up in a small town in New Hampshire, uh, same town that, that William Dean was murdered in. This was not the murder that, that first attracted me to true crime or, I guess, um, subconsciously attracted me to true crime. The town is Jaffrey, New Hampshire. I grew up there, and I was just about 10 years old when I first heard of the murder of Craig Lane. And Craig Lane was a 17-year-old high school student. He grew up in the town of Peterborough, New Hampshire, went to the rival high school that my uh, my sister went to, the, the one in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, Conant High School, and he went to Conval High School. And they were sort of pseudo-rivals. Um, he worked at a gas station in a small shopping center plaza parking lot, and it was one of those gas stations that they don't really make anymore. It was I think there were maybe two or three pumps. There was the little kiosk in the middle. And for the most part, it it was wide enough and long enough for a desk and somebody to to sit and be behind the register. And one night in January, a father and his young daughter pulled up to see somebody running out. His image was visible in their headlights. The daughter and both the father saw the face, and then the person, the perpetrator, ran across the street and into the woods. They went up closer to this kiosk and discovered the body of Craig Lane, who had been stabbed multiple times. The cash register was was open. Uh, It turns out a small amount of money, of cash, was grabbed along with some receipts, some various random receipts. The perpetrator ran to, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember Ames. Oh, yeah. Ames was a department store. Zayers uh, before that. Zayers, yeah. If you <laughs> Zayers. <laughs> um, it was really the Amazon of the 80s. <laughs> uh, yeah, before Walmart, there was Zayers and Ames and Kmart. The perpetrator ran into Ames, which was across the street, down a small road. Uh, I would say if you were to go like uh, point A to point B, it's maybe half mile. Uh, he went in. He grabbed a couple of women's sweatshirts from one of the racks, put them on. They were they, they didn't fit at all. He had blood stains on his hands and everything. This is back in the day. I, I, apparently, there was no uh, security camera that was either working or working well enough to get a, a, a good image of, of the perpetrator. He paid at the register for these uh, for, for the sweatshirts, and then he disappeared. And it's been unsolved to this day. There are plenty of rumors in the town about who did it, a lot of speculation. Uh, I, I, I was too young to really understand how it affected the town. Uh, right now, I could probably start talking to my family and to uh, the people who were related to Craig Lane. Um, but what stood out to me the 
pretty much a crucial, pivotal moment in my my true crime subconscious uh, addiction was when I was walking to school. And I say walking to school, and I think I'm making that up. I was just kind of walking, but I think it sounds better to say I was walking to school, <laughs> like <laughs> on like a January or February morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, right. Light and firecrackers walking uh, away from school. Right. Yeah, light and firecrackers and and. Uh, Smoking Lucy's. <laughs> smoking Lucy's. <laughs> smoking Lu rolling my Lucy's and and uh and you know, calling the cops pigs and running away. <laughs> I saw the the composite sketch of the perpetrator in the in uh Craig Lane Craig Lane's murder. And it was in one of the uh small I think the store was called B&B Grocery, and it was in the little uh, breezeway between the main entrance and the store entrance. And the composite sketch absolutely terrified me in its simplicity, in its like in its in its nondescript, featureless face. And if you can think of something like maybe the Michael Myers mask, how that how that's creepy in just its featureless, emotionless face. And it, it was I remember looking at it and then I remember dreaming about this for I don't even know when I stopped dreaming about it. I think I still do dream about it. Uh, years later, I was talking to one of my one of my best friends that I grew up with and I still keep in touch with. Uh, his name's Jason, and I was talking to him about it, and this was maybe six years ago. And I said, remember that Craig Lane murder uh, composite sketch? And he was like, dude, that scared the shit out of me. That's That composite sketch, and it just embedded itself in all of our brains, this composite sketch. So we looked online. My first reaction was maybe as a kid I saw this a lot differently. Because it didn't look the same. And it's funny how things come full circle because when we first met Ryan, who was our Dean murder expert in episode two, he brought up the Craig Lane murder during one of our town hall type meeting with the Dean murder research group by saying, you guys should check out the murder of this young man who was stabbed to death in Peterborough, New Hampshire. And I said, Craig Lane. And he said, yeah. And I started talking to him about this composite sketch and how it looked different. And he gave me the background to it. He said that over the years when computer imaging enhanced, they were able to come up with a better composite sketch than the one that was originally out there. And I guess it is better in the sense that it has more features to it. But I do remember that first one being the one that stuck in my memory and and really got me really put me into 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 this like dark circle of, of you know, I got into Stephen King. I got into horror movies. And that was what started the whole thing. And apparently that composite sketch was the description of the young girl in the car who was with her father when they pulled up to the scene. That's what I heard. Which would be interesting to talk to her at this at this time. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's definitely, a, you know, a case to look into down the line. With your personal connection to it, I think it, it could be an interesting case to cover. At this time in my life, I, I'm glad that I wasn't five or seven years older, because that would make me five or seven years older right now. But I wish I would have been a little more aware of how it affected my my oldest sister and my second oldest sister, because I'm the youngest of three sisters. Uh, 
<laughs> um, I would have liked to have been a little bit more aware of how that affected them being adolescents and in high school and who's being, whose finger is being pointed at, 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 at who, you know? And yeah, I picture uh, Woodsville high from scream. Sure. A lot of that, right. You picture a lot of that, you know, someone walks through the halls and, and then everyone kind of turns to their friend at the locker and they're like, you know? Yeah. I mean, everyone must've been like had an opinion on who it was. I've talked to my sisters briefly about it, but you know, that was, that was back in a different time. I was, if you, there were, there were, people were a little bit more resourceful back then. They had a little bit more, a little bit less time to, to chat, I think. I don't know how to describe it. I, I feel like there was some talk, but but people were just kind of doing more things, hmm. especially in a small mm-hmm. town. People people were going to the basketball games and and know, cruising cruising around town. And yeah, I would argue that they did less back then. The, the going to the basketball game doesn't seem like a lot. You got email now on your phone. You got to get back to people. You got text. The world's a lot more complicated now. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The the world is a lot more complicated, but the world is more uh, connected. I think they were. I think they were not as like connected uh, socially, um, where they could quickly like put a bunch of ideas out there. You know, if if Craig Lane's murder was talked about, it was talked about, and then it was like, oh, are you going to the basketball game tonight? What are you doing tonight? I keep using basketball just because it's a solid uh, example. Um, and what was said about it amongst seventeen, eighteen, nineteen-year-olds was just said. It wasn't. It wasn't written in a Facebook post. You know, it wasn't always out there for everybody to see. So I feel like if if there was Facebook back then or Twitter, social media, and someone put on their you know put on their Facebook page uh, their theory about Craig Lane's murder, it would be there for a long time. If someone just said it in the cafeteria, then it just kind of gets forgotten about in in a few months or a couple of years. So yeah, I think that might be something to dig into down the line. My fear is that we dig into too much in New Hampshire and we start making New Hampshire look like a like a fucking dangerous state. Not like our words have such power that people would stop going to New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd affect the tourist industry. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the recording time here, and I think I've just absolutely rambled for about 18 minutes straight. And if anyone's still listening to this, they can hear how you got involved in the true crime uh, arena. Oh, thanks for letting me talk. Oh, yeah. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Lance Reinstern here and my special guest, Tim Paleri, and he's going to bore us all with his uh, story about how he got involved in true crime almost as much as I did. Oh, thank you. <laughs> sound so, effect? <laughs> That's, is that our first official sound effect? Don't talk over it. <laughs> um, so my mom was pretty big into true crime and serial killers and that kind of thing and when i was 12 or 13 whenever the silence of the lambs came out on video i remember going to blockbuster uh every day every weekday and found that it was still it it was all sold out um and me and my mom was dragging me there this was like five days in a row and we finally ended up renting it and this is you know back in 1993 as a 12 year old timmy um but uh, my mom was really into true crime, and her sisters are too, still. But she met Albert DeSalvo at one point. Her friend introduced her to him, 
and and I and the story is a little bit lost in folklore in 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 the annals of my family at this point. I'm not even sure how I could track this story down. Uh, in the what of your family? The annals of my my family. You know, like the annals of history. Uh, I don't know how. I, I may have to try to to learn a little bit more about this instance, but. This was what I've known my entire life is that my mom shook Albert DeSalvo's hand. And, uh, of course, who is Albert DeSalvo, Lance? Albert DeSalvo is allegedly the Boston Strangler. Or one of the Boston Stranglers, depending on uh, what you read or hear about Exactly. It. Of course, is a uh, very popular podcast on the Boston Strangler now. Let me ask you a question. Your mother shook Albert DeSalvo's hand... Albert DeSalvo or the Boston Stranglers, I would say, reign of terror in Boston lasted two years from June, from June of 62 to January of 64. That's when 13 women were found uh, strangled, allegedly, by the Boston Strangler, who allegedly was Albert DeSalvo. When did your mother shake the alleged Boston Strangler's hand? I'm not sure. Do you know when he was arrested? I think it was 1964. It was uh, October of 1964. He was uh, he confessed to his attorney, who happened to be standing right above the crawl space banner at CrimeCon 2017, purely by accident. F. Lee Bailey. Right. Yeah, but that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Now, now I'm starting to think, well, the story doesn't sound that real because my mom would have been like 10 years old, 11 or 12 years old maybe back then. Um, but that is the story as I knew it. I, I heard she was introduced to Albert. Um, it was it was a friend. So it must have been a friend of her mom's or dad's. And actually, speaking of my mom's mom, my mom's mom was roommates with the Black Dahlia at one point in her life. And that is that is 100% true. Elizabeth Short and my grandmother, Eleanor McBride, were roommates for a very short period. At one point, Elizabeth Short lived in Medford, Mass., which is the same city I grew up in. Right. Your grandmother met the Black Dahlia, was roommates with the, was, was roommates with the Black Dahlia. What was your grandmother's name again? Eleanor McBride. Or actually, I suppose it would have been Howard back then. No, let's, let's stick with Eleanor McBride because that's like a uh, – I feel like she wrote like like Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice by Eleanor McBride. <laughs> this is crazy. This yeah. is crazy. Your mother, which I, I, I buy this though. I mean she didn't have to be – she didn't have to be in her 20s or 30s to shake anyone's hand. She could have been introduced to somebody. Albert DeSalvo was uh, – I mean, he was the uh, he, he was the man who was who was labeled the green man who would knock on women's doors. He would he would case women's apartments and homes and knock on their doors and and say claim that he was there to fix the air conditioning unit or their uh, their their garbage disposal in their sink. And then he would fondle them. He would sexually assault them. Uh, he was arrested for that. And and it wouldn't surprise me if he met your mother or somebody that your mother knew or your grandfather on your mother's side somewhere along the lines. I mean. I mean, it's Medford and Malden and Everett and Boston back in the 60s. It's a small world now. It must I mean, it's a very small world then. I could imagine something like that could happen. So 
So I checked this out with my dad, and he said both of these stories are true. He said he's not sure if my grandmother lived with Elizabeth Short, but he did know that she knew her. And my mom had a friend whose uncle was Albert DeSalvo, and she was over her friend's house, and her friend introduced him to her. He said it may have only been once. And that makes that puts your, your mom's age at what we what we're saying, like she's young, right? Nine, ten, eleven ish? Yes, exactly. Crazy. Yeah. Isn't it funny when you start remembering these things? The way we decided to do this episode was to just be have a conversation because we never really have a conversation we always approach something uh every episode that we work on we have some sort of guideline that we're going by but this one we were like let's talk about serial killers let's talk about how we're getting started in this and yeah i didn't i didn't start i didn't realize what i remembered about the uh craig lane murder and now you know all of a sudden we've realized that your mother was probably 10 or 11 when she shook Albert DeSalvo's hand and your grandmother was roommates with the Black Dahlia, which is bananas. You want to hear another one? That's why I'm here. I played basketball at Barry Park in Medford, Mass. when I was probably 12 or 13 and maybe 14 or 15. And there was a couple of kids from Somerville. It was a two-on-two game. I don't even remember the friend that I had with me. I could make some guesses. But uh, we played couple of kids from Somerville, one of the kids not long after that was arrested and charged with murder, murdering his best friend's mother. He's still in jail today. His name's Eddie O'Brien. No kidding. He was 6'4", 260 pounds. He was 15 in July of 1995 when he was arrested and convicted of first-degree murder. You played basketball against him. I played basketball against him, yeah. Who won? I don't remember that. I, I could lie, I could lie or exaggerate, but I don't remember that one. And I actually don't even remember how this dawned on me and my friend that we played ball with this kid. I mean, it wasn't a typical thing that that people from other cities kind of straggled down to your park. Usually at, at the park and on a summer day afternoon, it was the same kids every day. Um, so you know, you probably got to talking to these guys a little bit. They're from Somerville. My name's Eddie. His friend was there. I forget who. I mean, I remember Eddie being huge and not nice. <laughs> you know, he was he. I'm I I I was a very sl- I was more slender then than I am now, and uh, and this guy was throwing his body around at us. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they won. He was six <laughs> four. Yeah, it, it sounds like just, I I got a feeling yeah. that where the game went, where the direction <laughs> of the the game went. Now, were you? Were you slender with the uh, Kennedy hair and the piercing green eyes still, or had that not developed yet? I will say the the eyes were there, but the uh, the Kennedy hair was not in full effect at that point. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. How yeah. old you were? What fifteen? I would have been fourteen or yeah. fifteen. Yeah, Kennedy didn't even have Kennedy hair at fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, don't don't beat yourself up over it. But I actually Google this this um, this guy in this case once in a while because I'm just kind of curious about it maybe that's um natural but uh there's a chance he gets out pretty soon edward o'brien i wonder if he listens to podcasts in prison i don't know actually i'm i'm looking at one article here and it says that that he's not even guilty said he spent uh, over 22 years behind bars by all accounts he is positive and mentally healthy he has daily contact with family and friends he is a voracious reader a maturing writer and is well informed regarding world events so maybe he does listen to podcasts he also joins with others twice a week to say the rosary 
This is uh, an article from the Somerville Times by William Shelton back in January of this year. Does it say that he's an avid pickup basketball uh, player? Once played against Crawl Space's Tim Polary and dominated him. <laughs> but, but he walked away from that game and he said, man, that boy's got, a, that boy's got an olive oil voice. <laughs> That boy's not a basketball player. <laughs> but I, if if memory serves correctly, I think what happened was my friend who I was on the same team with, um, like called me or, or you know, we, we he would actually just drop by um, and knock on the door, see if I was home. That that those were the days, nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five. But he said, you know, did you see did you see that that news report about the guy in the paper? And I said, no. And he said, you know, the guy we played basketball with, like, and this was like no more than a few weeks or a month after we had played basketball with them. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, he said he killed his friend's mother, which happened to be his neighbor, too. And I do remember reading um, a lot about this case back then and that he was spotted by a neighbor and that he saw the neighbor looking at him and he smiled back. And then he took off. And that terrified me as a young kid. Right, because you hear that he smiled back like like an evil smile. It was probably like an ear-to-ear smile with fangs in your brain, right? It was, exactly. you know, like his eyes went black and he you know, right. vanished <laughs> and then, into a cloud of smoke. Yeah, yeah, and he did like the uh, finger across the throat thing and then, you know, leapt away and crawled up a tree or something. Scampered. Um, did like a backwards crab walk away. <laughs> Well, you know, your brain will do some some interesting things to you, especially after you read that this guy allegedly stabbed his best friend's mother 98 times. How, 98 times is that's just pure rage. I mean, this isn't like was this a robbery that went wrong and 98 times yeah. You could probably stab somebody twice in a second, right? Yeah. 98 times. Look at this. We just suddenly got see this was supposed to be a lighthearted Let's take a moment of silence and play this music here for about a minute. count but that's that's less than a minute it's still less than a minute yeah i mean that's just incredible that one human being can do that to another person and every time i hear stories like this it just it creeps me out and 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 the saddest thing about it is thinking of the what the person who is getting killed is thinking right before they die and they they realize that they're gonna die and it's at the hands of this monster and they don't want to die. That is incredible. That that uh, this randomness, right? You think about this like that. That with the with Craig Lane's murder, he was stabbed. I forgot what it was. He was stabbed multiple times in the throat. He was working his night job. He was just working. He was seventeen years old. 
you know, he was probably I don't know reading a magazine or something, and and this random person comes in and robs him and doesn't have to just i mean if you if you google the craig lane murder you'll see what craig lane looks like he he looks like he looks like a good kid he's clean cut he's got glasses uh his father was the was the chief of police uh and and he was just he was just there working and one second just trying to keep warm right it's january and then the next second he's just bleeding out yeah what goes through someone's someone's head when that's happening 98 times is goddamn ridiculous. Why are they saying that he might be innocent? I'd have to read more into it. Maybe that's something we can dive into a little bit uh, later on down the line, too. But uh, there is a quote here in the same article from Judge Heffron, who is now 84 years old. He's quoted as saying, I hope I'm alive to see him walk out of jail. Hmm. Boston College Law School's Innocence Program has accepted Eddie's case for review. So maybe it is something to dig into a little bit down the line. I mean, this is maybe even a guy we could get on the show down the line. I'm sure he he wouldn't remember uh, the ass whooping that I laid on him on the basketball court that day, but uh, we could certainly ask him about it. Yeah, I mean, that would be the primary focus of the interview, which would be to really focus on your, uh, your pump fake, which is nasty. Do you know how many points Tim scored against you that day, yeah, Eddie? Yeah. yeah. How many? We've, we've only got a couple more questions and a, a few more minutes here. How many times did he freeze you in your in in your in your Nike Airs? He froze you. He he faked you, and then went in for the layup. Did that happen multiple Dunk. times? Well, I just I just pictured you like not wanting to totally humiliate him. <laughs> but yeah, that would be the primary focus of the interview, and then we'd have some. Uh, auxiliary questions about right. about his uh, you know alleged misconviction of this crime, and I'd love to know what he was thinking when he did this too. I mean, if he really did do it, of course. But uh, wouldn't it be great to get a murderer's honest answer on that? Right. You're saying, let's say he actually did it, and he's let out of prison because he served his time and he found God, which is doesn't that seem like just like an easy thing. It's a little cliche. Yeah, isn't it easy to be like he 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 prays to the rosary five times a day? Awesome, super. Yeah, we should we should get him on. We should make sure that he actually loves Jesus now. Uh, we should shoot something where he's playing one on one with you, and uh, then we'll start talking about his wrongful, perhaps wrongful conviction. Are there any cases, Lance, that? really kind of turn your crank still at this point in in your life and uh you know because i have one and i'm just curious if there's any cases maybe they're high profile maybe they're not things that really just make you curious and want to dig in you know i i i feel like everything that we're working on i mean the boston strangler just because it's local and it was one of the one of the first uh serial killers that that i mean in the 60s it was one of the first high profile serial killers in in america um i mean they all as you say turn my crank my crank is easily turned um there's a chance i'm turning it now but i do know that there's a there's there's the matter of albert fish which you've always expressed interest in and 
a completely horrific person. I, I think I think that's a, a pretty decent segue to talk about Albert Fish. Yeah, he's a real motherfucker, real monster who killed kids. Albert Fish was a serial killer who was alive in the early part of last century. Um, from 1870 to 1936 when he was electrocuted in Sing Sing. He was known as the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, the Gray Man, and of course, the Boogeyman. Uh, he's known as the Moon Maniac? The Werewolf, the Gray Man. You can say Werewolf and you can say moon maniac and that's like kind of creepy to me but why is it that gray man is the now i i have in front of me why he is allegedly known as the gray man uh francis mcdonald who was eight years old was playing on on the porch with his mother and a gray-haired man who appeared to be frail uh, an old man was walking down the street muttering to himself uh the mother noticed and and didn't report anything because why would you, right? But later that day, Francis was playing in the park. His friends noticed that he walked into the woods with an elderly gray-haired man. So when Francis McDonald uh, was missing and found uh, in the woods, badly beaten and strangled with his own suspenders, this gray-haired man kept coming up in conversation. So that's how we got the gray man uh, moniker. This guy got on my radar from, after watching a documentary about him, I think it was called Albert Fish. It was a 2007 documentary that I was kind of terrified by, actually. But really, it's the letters that he wrote to the parents of the kids that he killed. It's really the most disturbing thing that I think I can point to that, that I know that any serial killer has done. The letter that Albert Fish wrote to the mother of Grace Budd, a uh, little girl that he killed was sent while he was already in prison. And that one, I, I honestly can't read. It's too disturbing. I have a daughter. I, I can't do it. Yeah, seriously. You look at, you look at what this, this guy is about as, as nasty as, as they come. He has, he has discussed the details of murdering one of the, one of the young boys and, and with, with pleasure seems to be describing how he tied him up and beat him and he might be making this up, but even if you make this part up, you're you're totally fucked up. He admits to drinking his blood and making a stew out of his body parts. This this is psychosis on a whole nother level. This is this is psycho psychopathic. It's 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 a we talk a lot about right like the being a psychopath and or a sociopath and I wonder what this dude scored on the psychopath test. He must have scored like a fifty. Yeah, he, he was off the charts. There's no question about it. This letter that Fish wrote to his attorney uh, is, a, is a little bit easier for me to read. Um, but I think we should go through it and just kind of point out how, uh, how awful it is. He says, I brought him to Riker Ave dump. There was a house that stands alone not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there. The G-boy meaning Billy Gaffney. That's who he claims to have drank the blood of. Yeah. Stripped him naked and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked out of the dump, which is just really sad. Then I burnt his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took the trolley to 59th Street 
at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. Next day at about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit these half in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. Can you read the part about the cat nine tails again? I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails. A good heavy cat of nine tails. Homemade short handle. Jesus Christ, that's like a, that's like a, that's like a scourging. It's like a whip. It's like a, yeah. Yeah, I really can't, can't read some of this. It's, uh, it's just too terrifying. But he did cook, uh, Billy and he ate him. It's, it's just so disturbing reading the details. What year is this? This is 1927. The murder happened. This is somebody who acted upon these impulses without the influence of television, of video games, of any music that might that might glorify violence. This is somebody who had these ideas. These are pure ideas that really weren't influenced by any sort of bombardment of media. You know, because we say we we hear about people, uh, uh, kids, youths, and and young adults who perform violent acts, and and we say video games are influencing them. This is a this is a dude who had a legit psychotic streak. This is a this is about as psychotic as it gets. He had a compulsion to to send obscene letters in days before pornography. There's no there's no Pornhub back then that he's addicted to. He's coming up with this shit in his own head on his own. He would uh, what was the thing he they X-rayed him and he had needles between between his anus and his scrotum. Twenty nine needles. He loved the pain. He loved the pain there, like in that area yeah. of your body. He was yeah. a self. He also whipped. Yes, and he also uh, loved his back being whipped. Uh, until it bled people do get addicted to pain sure uh you're someone who's got i don't know how many tattoos but i can imagine that you've become addicted to it the chemical that's released in your brain if if you have a a certain amount of pain you're you become addicted to it pain releases these endorphins in your brain and yeah you do become addicted to to that feeling of of pain but i'm not whipping myself i might i might later i mean i never thought of it until now this kind of thing comes in all shapes and sizes. Just don't don't let your kid go with a gray man that you don't know. I mean, this guy used to knock on his neighbor's doors and be like, "Hey, can I hang out with your kid? Can I take your kid to the down the street?" And they would never come back. Right. And don't let people into your house that tell you that they're going to. Uh, they've been looking at you and they think that you'd make a really good model, and they need to measure your your curvatures and and. <laughs> They need to measure your body uh, because they're going to make you famous for for modeling. This is why pain and tattoos specifically are addicting because uh, there may be an association between health and pain slash tattoo craving. What pain does is primes the immune system and then the person craves it to activate the immune system response again. So what it's doing is enhancing your immune system. Well, do you think that's why Albert Fish did this, or we just will never know? I mean, well, I think if we're using that um, 
kind of pseudoscientific uh, definition of why people are addicted to pain and tattoos. And I think it, it, it's like any addiction that you do, right? If you, you some, it's going to level out at some point and then you're going to need more and then you're going to need more. And if you have an addictive personality, I'm sure he had many personality traits that um, suggested that he was psychotic or uh, had OCD. Yeah, I, I think if he's I think if he's cutting himself one day and shoving slight putting needles in between his scrotum and anus, then he's going to start whipping himself the next day. Something else that's going to take that pain to the to the next level because his body's now craving it. He's he's priming his body for for another high, another pain high. I think we've had a pretty interesting chat tonight, Lance. And uh, before we go, I think let's read a couple of iTunes reviews that uh that we promised to read a while ago and never got around to it yeah we're getting around to it now <laughs> okay cool. i used to uh i used to write you know kind of crappy articles for my high school newspaper i wish i could go back and do it again but um if i was and i typically was late on a deadline they would replace the space in the article with this uh this this circle and inside the circle said this is a round to it and, Got it. And that was because Good one. that was because it was always like, oh, when are you going to get the article done? Oh, I'll get around to it. So then they would just report. <laughs> Big laughs. True Crime Addict eighty seven said, "Crawl Space and Missing Mora Murray are my favorite podcasts to date because of Tim and Lance. I like how you put my name first. They are genuine and really just want to bring out the facts in these cases while also putting on very captivating podcasts. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you, True Crime Addict eighty seven. And I'm I'm thinking that's not James Renner. That's I think most of these are James Renner. <laughs> <laughs> I think they put your name first because it flows better. You get the one syllable followed by the um the it's it's more of a you know it's like a simple name a simple one syllable name followed by what what appears to be a more intriguing name yeah, so whatever it's, it's <laughs> how about how about how just about... 2.5 she said five stars she said i've been a listener of missing mara mari since the beginning and it's great to see this podcast grow in new and interesting ways the crew is doing an excellent job with production editing and content the crew is me lance and sometimes chloe it's fantastic to see hosts that are receptive to feedback and self-criticism, which we are. Part of the appeal of the show is that the hosts allow several competing theories and cases to be discussed openly and respectfully, each on their own merits. I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes and can't wait to see the documentary. Of course, she's talking about our Maura Murray documentary that we are working on, Lance, and we get, we, we're going to have a lot more information about that soon. And it's really uh, it's going to be awesome, just so you know. It's fantastic. Just looking at these stills and and reliving it in my in my head is is fun, but to see it put together in a cohesive storytelling thread is super exciting. Here's one that I want to read. It's uh, she says uh, I'm assuming it's a female. The name is uh, Maya Sita. I'm hooked. Five stars. I love this podcast. So well researched and thorough, but never boring. Tim and Lance are smart and entertaining. She's, she's, well, I guess, I mean, it doesn't have to be both of us are both smart and entertaining. It could be one is one and the other is the other. And Chloe adds another level of passion and depth 
thanks to her background in psychology. You can tell that these three, especially Chloe, I think Chloe might have actually written this, are deeply invested in finding the truth about what happened to Brianna Maitland, an honorable cause, happy sleuthing, can't wait for episode two, which is already out there. Um, And she's right on all accounts. Yeah, a lot of great compliments on here, a lot of great five-star reviews. So please give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever site you listen to us on we really appreciate it this is a five-star review by uh just a bunch of letters here j d h d h d h a h s these three make listening fun i never lose interest throughout each podcast they get their facts straight and they're honest and besides the podcast is for a great cause make sure to give them a listen and check out their maura murray podcast as well I like it when people get it. Thank you so much, people, for getting it. You don't have to give the five-star review. We appreciate it. But if you get it, then that's that's a win. And in, in addition to the live show, uh, I think it, it goes without saying that Tim and myself uh, would like to be doing this on a more full-time basis. And with the, with the live show, income from that and income from Patreon, this is something that we can actually do, research the cases more, get more in-depth, bring you more coverage, and... Uh, in the summer, maybe into the fall, there's a lot of information and a lot of a lot of material that we don't put out there, and we would like to start a Patreon, and and we just want to gauge the interest of, of whether or not this would be something that our, our listeners would be into supporting in the future, in the summer and in the fall, hearing additional, whether it's important information for a case or just us shooting the shit as we're as we're doing right now maybe some projects that we're working on on the side that have nothing to do with with crime uh it's more of a behind the scenes look but it does support the overall cause of crawl space and missing Maura murray right i really kind of want to get drunk one night and just like shoot the shit old stories that we have because we've known each other for so long right that we have some really ridiculous uh, comedic stories that i think we could uh, tell in really humorous ways um, so I think that that's one thing that I want to do on Patreon when we finally get that up and running, but not focus on that completely, but I think it'd be kind of fun. Right. It'd be, it'd be one of the, one of the things. Wow. We've yeah. talked for an hour. I know we gotta go. We gotta go. Jesus. <laughs> person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. 
Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.